Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This special activity focusing on COVID-19 is part of a special series titled COVID-19 Clinical Considerations, provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty information as well as the learning objectives. The impact of COVID-19 has been overwhelming to healthcare providers across the spectrum of care, from emergency departments to hospital wards, and even to outpatient primary care practices out in the community. But how do we as clinicians still operate in these uncertain times, and importantly, still provide the valuable care our patients need? This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Cottle. And I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. And together, we'll be discussing the impact of the COVID-19 on community-based primary care practices and how this pandemic is changing the face of patient care across the nation. So, Dr. McDonough, I'm really excited to be chatting with you this evening. Um, Let's begin by discussing the very real and disruptive impact that COVID-19 is having on everyday patient care in the outpatient setting, specifically with telemedicine. How, How do you feel practices are adjusting to these changes? Well, Jennifer, I think the first thing is we weren't doing much telemedicine. I mean, we were pretty much seeing our patients. We were aware of it, but we really weren't using it because, frankly, there's a lot of barriers the way it's set up, and we didn't really want to deal with it at the time, and we have a residency program. But with this situation and the fact that it's safer for patients not to come in and with the idea that we want to do all we can to reach as many people, we started to ramp it up. And kind of because I like that information technology aspect, I started looking into it. And, and because we have a residency program, we were able to look at a number of programs which allowed us to do video telemedicine and uh, actually worked with our residents. So they, they're very good. They're younger. They figured it out. And we got them involved. But then as we got them involved, we ran into other issues, which is identifying yourself when you make a video call. We didn't want people to know where the call was coming from, like your own phone. So we had to find a way to block that. Then we wanted to get the MAs and the staff involved, you know, in making those calls for us to help us get the people online. When you get online with patients, depending on their age and their familiarity, if let's say we have them click a link, which those who are doing this know, you often click a link, patients aren't always aware of how to do that the first time. So all those things more or less became issues, Jennifer. So, but the other side of it, oh my gosh, like you're, you're able to really reach out to people and they're happy because they want to hear from us, whether it's just talking about the medicines they're on, checking in, dealing with their isolation. It's, it's something where as we evolve in this, it's, it's really an important part of what we're doing. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and you've mentioned some really important points, ones that I've experienced in my own practice as well. And I did feel like there was a little bit of an adjustment period. It was kind of like, you know, when, when we went to EMR, when I first went to EMR like 10, 15 years ago, that sort of feeling of, of going from paper to EMR. So I do remember sort of in the last couple of weeks having a little bit of apprehension and almost a little bit of fear. Is it going to work? What's it going to be like? And then, of course, you do mention the patient sort of perspective. I feel the same way. You know, our, our patients are not used to using it just like we aren't either. And, you know, I have patients who sometimes, as we both do probably, who are hard of hearing or who may have physical limitations or, or other things or may not even have a phone or technology to allow that. You know, so how do we get around some of these potential barriers or are things that have come up? I, I definitely agree with you on some of these. Yeah. And I think one of the things I saw, we were having a discussion, we do huddles every morning before we see our patients. And of course, now we're seeing mostly our virtual patients. And someone's saying, you know, you could bill for the physical exam. And I had said, well, 
how are you doing a physical exam? And then they explain, well, if you're looking at someone and you're looking, let's say, at a rash or you're checking out different things, you actually can do physical exams that are quite different than the physical exams that we traditionally are used to. So there's, there's a lot of growing and learning and figuring this out. I do think, though, long term, this may be the beginning of something we do quite a bit more as we become more familiar with it. Another major disruption we're facing is staffing. And Dr. Caudill, what are you seeing as far as staffing? Yeah, no, and I do agree with your last point that we we probably will see more of this telemedicine. I think being forced to do it, it's unfortunate that this is a situation that's forced us to do it, COVID-19. But the fortunate thing is that now we're kind of, I think, all seeing, wow, the possibilities are in some ways endless. Staffing, from a staffing viewpoint, you know, we're in a residency program, but I'm the clerkship director for uh, the third-year family medicine students on their clerkship. And, And as you and many providers are familiar with, you know, medical students have been taken off of their rotations for safety reasons. So we had this sort of real issue of how do we, and our students are not staff, but how do we teach our students when they can't see patients, when they're not even allowed to come to the office? So how that relates to some of the staffing issues we've had, because our staff are fantastic, but they've had to learn the system. They still have to work the phones. They still have to send out faxes. They've still got all this other work to do. And now they've got this other skill set that they've got to become proficient in. One of the things that we've done at Rowan SOM is we've had our medical students actually help with the EMR, just like your, your residents are. They're helping room the patients through telemedicine, and they're helping sort of help with getting vitals, you know, asking the patient, do you have a blood pressure cuff? Take your blood pressure, things like that. So we've really had to become really creative in terms of figuring out ways to reduce staffing burdens, but also utilize our residents and medical students and the whole team so that everyone's learning and growing and developing and that nobody is burdened unnecessarily. One of the weird things I have as a chairman of a department is like I'm looking at the residency and then I have to look at the practice and then I have to look at the staffing and the budget and I'm looking at all these things. So my first thought is how can I keep everybody viable and working? For instance, our MAs or the nurses, what roles can they have in this shifting area? And then to your point, we have residents, so they can't go on many rotations because the, the offices are either shut down or they're limited. So now they're back. So what can I do for them in the safest possible way for them, but also to give them opportunities? And then, of course, patient flow is affected. We, we Our office, and like many offices, we do a thing where we do ED follow-up, where the emergency department will send patients who don't have doctors to us. But but now all of a sudden, we've never seen these people before. So if you can't have them come in, are you doing the best job for them? Yes, in some cases, but no in others. And, and that's a battle, too. For those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and I'm joined by Dr. Brian McDonough. And together, we're discussing the many ways that the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the face of outpatient community-based care and how to still provide optimal patient management through this crisis. So, Dr. McDonough, you know, patients are hearing that elective procedures are being postponed. They're not only hearing it, but their surgeries are being postponed. You know, the visits to the doctor's office are being limited. You know, I was I was seeing patients today, and a couple of my patients had their appointments canceled or rescheduled. And, and they're also hearing that there are more restrictions to getting really everyday care that they need. How, how do you feel that we can ensure that we are still providing the critical chronic disease management and acute care that our patients really count on? We're figuring out different ways as we go. And I'll give you an example. If you have a residency program, you know 
you got to keep the residents making sure they're keeping up with reviewing labs and reviewing messages and following up and keeping up to date with everything else they do. And I was telling them that we have a great opportunity now where you can actually follow up somebody's labs, but you could actually also now do a telehealth visit and talk with them and say, listen, you know, we may, I don't know when we're getting back really to seeing full-time patients. This could be a while. Let's talk about your blood sugar and how you're doing, or let's talk about why you're doing things and get that visit in and work with them. So that's one way we're being creative as far as continuity of care. Communication's still tough because, you know, there's so many, you know, we almost have too many ways to reach people. It could be texting, it could be email, it could be letters, it could be, and I don't know one way that works. So I, I kind of tell um, all of us, actually, we, we want to just make phone calls, see how people are doing and say, hey, can we set you up for an appointment? And we're trying to set up like a few days in advance so they can plan it. Because, you know, most people, even though they're home and most are staying home, they, they don't want to just say, okay, I'll have my visit at 11 o'clock. They want to prepare, and that's good. Um, the other thing is, you know, we have that dilemma of when we bring a patient into the office because we have developed two things. We have a sick office, which is separate if we have people that we believe are COVID or have other respiratory issues, fever, those types of things, then we have our own office. But we still know every time you bring somebody out, there's potential risk and they're not allowed to bring visitors. So they got to come in by themselves. So it's still a bit of a challenge bringing them in. Sure. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, all very good points. You know, and along the same lines, you know, of improved communication with patients, what we're trying to do, you know, there's also the issue of communicating between practices and between providers. Uh, Dr. Connell, what are you doing in that that regard? Like, how, how are you staying in touch with the other doctors you work with? Yeah, you know, that's actually a really, really good question. You know, so far, you know, the specialists that I tend to be close with, you know, we text and things like that no matter what or communicate through through phone. My staff have been calling different offices to try to get patients in. You know, I had a, a patient actually yesterday with a heart condition that I felt needed to see cardiology sooner than later. So still having my staff, you know, try to make those phone calls and set things up. But of course, what's possible is different. And I feel like every day I'm learning what those options and possibilities are, just like my patients as well. But, you know, there's another side of it, which I feel is a bright spot in this sort of tragedy that is COVID-19. And that is the idea of physicians coming together and working together in different spheres, you know, Facebook groups, chat rooms, social media, coming together on social media. I feel like a lot of us are coming together and sharing our experiences with one another. We're talking about what we're experiencing. Just like, you know, Brian, the conversation you and I are having right now, we're saying, hey, what are you guys doing? This is what we're doing. Wait, what'd you do about that? Well, I'm trying to figure out this. We're literally coming together in a way that I have never seen. I've been in practice, I guess, maybe 12, 13 years or so. I've never seen this. We're sharing with each other. We are communicating. We're expressing how we feel. And I think that that's really helpful. You know, there's also a lot of COVID-19 physician groups that have opened up online as a way to sort of discuss even best evidence and the stuff that we're learning about the disease itself, right? Because we're, we're just learning how to manage this disease. So those are things that I'm very excited and proud of. And I hope will continue even after the pandemic of COVID-19 is over, that we as physicians continue to, to come together, to reach out to each other, to share stories, ask questions, get help. And also, I guess, even offering emotional support, with, which, is, which is really, really important, you know? So, yeah, I, I really love that. You know, Dr. Caldwell, one of the things we're all worried about, too, when you talk about emotional support is, you know, we're all wondering what this virus will bring and continue to bring. And I think that's something we all feel a stress 
as providers, whether we do outpatient or inpatient medicine or the combination. And I, I think that's important. And I was wondering, you mentioned emotional support. What are some of the resources you suggest? I'm really glad that you asked because there are a lot of really great resources out there. You know, I did mention this this idea of leaning on each other as colleagues and just, you know, having the courage and the wherewithal to talk to each other about what we're experiencing. Because one thing I've learned with this COVID-19 is that we're, you know, none of, we're not alone. And, and all of us, I would imagine, feel worried, anxious, uncertain, all of the things that our patients are feeling as well. Uh, but there are some apps that I have found to be very, very helpful. They're apps that I've recommended to my patients. A couple of them I have on my own phone that I've used and still use, and that I also, we recommend to our residents as well. So there's two apps that I really love for just sort of kind of clearing your mind. Uh, One app is called the Calm app, like C-A-L-M, Calm app. And another one's called Headspace, the Headspace app. Those are really great for helping with meditation, guided meditation, just sort of clearing your mind, taking a break. But there are other apps that I love. There's an app called the Seven Cups app. It's literally the number seven and the word cups. Basically, this is an app that uses trained volunteer active listeners to really provide free and uh, confidential emotional support. You know, if, if so, if a physician or a healthcare provider doesn't have a counselor or doesn't have a therapist, et cetera, that may be an, uh, a resource for them or their patients, certainly. There's a couple of apps that I love that help us get an idea or take our pulse with how we're feeling. They're kind of twins of each other. One's called Mood Tools, and the second is called Fear Tools. Those are two separate apps, and they both help you sort of assess your uh, anxiety and depression symptoms separately. And then, let's see here, uh, another one that helps you monitor mood is called the What's Up app. It's not WhatsApp app, which is the, the communication app, but WhatsApp app is a mental health app that really sort of helps us monitor our mood and, and uses principles of cognitive behavioral therapy to help us. So those are a lot of different apps, you know, and, and hopefully folks who are listening may find one that sort of uh, speaks to what they're going through and, and how they're feeling. But I, I certainly would encourage all of us during this time to, as, as we're working to take care of our patients, we need to also make sure that we are taking care of ourselves. And that's something I feel very strongly about. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. So I'd like to thank our audience for their participation. And uh, I'd also like to give a special thanks to Dr. Brian McDonough for joining me and for sharing all of his valuable insights. Dr. McDonough, it was great speaking with you today. It was great speaking with you too, Dr. Caldwell. I think we, we covered a lot of ground, but boy, is it important. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is part of a special series provided by Prova Education titled COVID-19 Clinical Considerations. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash COVID-19 considerations. Thank you for listening.